0: Good morning, everybody. It is still morning, right? Yes, still morning. Judging by that uh, response, it's an uncaffeinated morning so far for many of you. Hey, welcome. Glad you guys are here. I'm glad to see so many faces that I know. I'm also really, really happy to see several faces that maybe I met for the first time today or I haven't even had a chance to yet. It means a lot, whether it's your first time, second time, third time, you're just kind of dipping your toe in. Um, we're so happy that you're here. It's hard to put yourself out there and say, I'm going to go to this place I've never been, and I'm going to see what's going on here. Um, that's a hard thing, and I don't, I don't take lightly the commitment that it takes to go to go uh, place yourself in that, in that place. So thank you for being here. Glad you're here. We are in a, a little kind of a mini-series um, on relationships. Godly relationships, so this is not just a series about marriage this is that 'll be a small part of it towards the end, to be honest with you we 're talking about what God says our relationships ought to look like. This is relationships in the workplace, at school, um, in the church, your best friend, your family, um, and then yes. In the marriage relationship, what that should look like, what God says about that. Pastor Gabe talked about our marriage conference that 's coming up. I want you to really consider joining us for that marriage conference. it is um, it 's a Friday afternoon Saturday morning mini conference. But it is such a great wealth of information on what God says that relationship should look like. Um, it's got humor. It's, it's just a great overall con- uh, conference. We think it's going to really be a blessing. Here's something that the Lord spoke to me last service, though. He just kind of whispered in my ear, they can buy a, a ticket for a family member. So maybe you don't even want to go. But maybe you have a family member, maybe it's your son-in-law, daughter-in-law, or a neighbor or somebody like that who you think could benefit from something like that. You can buy their ticket in. You can scholarship them into the event. So if you want to do that, if that's something that that uh, resonates with you. You can see Gaber myself will help you go through the steps on how to register them or gift uh, registration. So I think you would get a lot out of it or, or a friend would, so uh, please consider that. Um, again, we're going into relationships, all different types of relationships. Now, if you're sitting here saying, I mean, this weekend is professional relationships, so business place. Workplace, professional-type relationships. Now, if you're going, well, I'm retired, so I don't have a workplace. Or I'm a student, so I don't have a workplace. Or how about this? I'm a stay-at-home parent. I don't have a workplace. What we're talking about in this context is wherever your sphere of influence is. Okay, if you're retired, it's those other people that you come in contact with in your daily activities. If you're a student, it's certainly your school, your classmates, your teachers, those places. Wherever we are in life, that's our mission field. And I'm going to explain how having that missional mindset is really key to all of our interactions. So if you're saying, okay, business, business relationships, how what does the Bible say about handling a godly business relationship, I'm not going to give you the key on how to handle the guy who always leaves the coffee pot empty at work. (laughs) I'm not going to help you figure out how to speak to the guy who jams the printer and then walks away. I'm not going to help you with the guy that steals your stapler, okay? What I am going to do is tell you what the Bible says about what our mindset should be towards all these relationships, and that then Will govern our response. Does that make sense? So as we talk about this, um, I've talked about several times, uh, Pastor Gabe and myself have gotten, we pray all the time as part of just our normal life, but we've gotten in the habit for the last, it's been over a month now, of praying for you. Praying for this church. Praying for the individuals in this church. Praying for the relationships in this church. Praying that God would just bless you abundantly through not only what God has to offer here, but just as being a follower of Christ, that he would bless you. And we pray over you every single day without fail. And that's a habit I think we should all get into. We always like to pray for ourselves. Here's what I need. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I would like. And that's amazing. But... To pray in that, and we taught all about agape love, right? We started out this series by teaching the foundational concept of agape love, which is sacrificial love, which means placing literally everyone else's wants, needs, desires above yours. And if we have that concept Then all these others kind of make sense. Everything kind of falls into place. But praying sacrificially for someone else, you don't want anything in return, you simply want to bless someone else is just a great habit to get into. So would you join me as we kick this message off just in, in modeling that habit? Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for those people that you place around us. Those people who are sometimes irritating or less than pleasant to be around and those people who are easy to love It's no mistake, Father, that they are in our our area, in our influence, and that you make those introductions. So, Father God, we thank you for those chances, for those opportunities to be the light of Christ in, in those places. And we just lift all these people up to you. Regardless of our personal feelings about them, Lord, we know how you feel about them, and let us mirror that to everyone we come in contact with. Help them to see the love of Christ through our treatment of them. And, Father, we just pray that you bless them abundantly. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. So let's let's all try and get the habit, not just on Sundays, but doing that throughout the week. And let's see what a difference it makes in our heart and then in the kingdom in general. So, okay, getting into the message now. I've taken some data here from... U.S. government sources. One is the census. Another one is the Center for Disease Control. Talking about statistics, and statistics specifically in this case, how much of an adult's life is typically spent working? How much would you say of an adult's life is typically spent working? It's about one-third. About one-third of your working life Okay, is spent at work, literally at work. So, in other words, that translates to about 90,000 hours. Like, you think your work day is long? That's why. 90,000 hours, which, those of you who can do the math, is approximately or a little bit over 13 years. We spend about 13 years of our lives in the work environment, some way or another. Only eating, sleeping, and, of course, television beat that out. That's a significant portion of our life. And so many times I think we, we become stressful at work. The workplace, statistically, is the number one source of stress, okay, that anybody has is the workplace, number one. Now, it's also the fifth biggest cause of death is stress and workplace-related issues. And that can be, for many reasons, obviously, the definition of stress is medical or biological stress is a physical, mental, or emotional factor that causes bodily or mental tension. Okay? The stuff that happens at work can literally physically make you sick make you mentally sick. It can put your mind in a place where it's not intended to be. And I think one of the reasons, as Christians specifically, that the workplace is so stressful is because we are led to believe somehow that we are supposed to keep our work life and our spiritual life separate. We're taught that flat out sometimes. Many people take some scriptures and they use them to teach that very concept, such as John 17, 14, we have that one on screen. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Okay, we're taught over and over again, you are not of this world. Your citizenship is stamped heaven. You've heard it many ways. I've even got a sticker that says, not of this world, which is correct. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we are in this world. We're not of it. We're in it. But we have to interact then on a daily basis with this world. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. People use that to say don't be unequally yoked, okay, especially in a business relationship. What that means, what they're trying to say there is don't go into a business partnership with somebody who is not a Christian, if you're a Christian. Now, that's in 2 Corinthians. It could just as easily be in Proverbs because it's just simple wisdom to live by. If you're a Christian business person, doing business with a non-Christian business person, there can be heads butted, right? That's being a business partner, and it's different than working in that environment, okay? You don't have to be equally yoked to be an employee. And they take those two verses and they interpret them and say that as Christians, we should avoid being in secular work. And if we're there, we should do it against our will. Like we're prisoners of this place and just treat it like as soon as I'm out of here, then I can go pray. I can go then to church. I can read my Bible, but I can't do it at work. I have to keep those things separate. Especially if you're in one of those places that's maybe not that welcoming to a Christian, right? To where you literally could get in trouble for being overtly Christian. That happens all the time. So many times we end up thinking that if we help our, let's just go with our boss in general, if we help our boss or his company, if we help them succeed and it's not a Christian company, somehow or another we're partnering partnering with Satan, We're partnering with the devil if we work hard so that we can further this man who may not be a good man. How many people see their bosses like this? Or some version of that. It's very easy to see our bosses as the enemy, especially if they're that kind of guy who says, I don't want Faith shared in the workplace. We don't want that. You keep your stuff to yourself. We're doing our thing. Now what if your boss is maybe not the most scrupulous businessman and you have to work for this person? That's going to cause stress. That's going to cause such anxiety in your heart because you're like trying to uphold your Christian values and saying, that's not who I am. And yet I'm in this place that I have to work at to support my family. I have to work here to further my career. I have to pay the bills. So we use these two realities, the workplace and our spiritual life, against one another, and it just causes stress. That's where we get that workplace stress, I believe. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing when he wrote Colossians, he's writing this letter to this church in Coloss, and he's explaining to them kind of how, how it works or where our mindset should be more accurately in this situation. Colossians three, twenty-two to 24, says, Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. It is always so hard when Paul, Jesus, when they all teach, okay, it's not just what you do. Where's your heart? Like, oh, I'm going through the motions. I'm doing my job, but I can't stand this guy. I can't stand working for this company. We're taught you're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it for that man sitting at the desk. You're not doing it for your coworker. Do it as unto the Lord. And as we go through this, I hope I really can impress that idea that everything we do, we do as pleasing unto the Lord, and then we'll be in the right place. When that scripture talks about slaves, slaves is a concept. It's kind of a, uh, two different concepts. In this case, the word is a Greek word, it's doulos. And dulos means a bond slave or a bond servant. Now what's the difference? We have slaves. A slave is somebody who's working involuntarily. Okay, they don't have a say in what happens. They are, they are either either figuratively or literally chained to that job, and they have no rights and they have no say. Okay? It's typically against their will. That's a slave. A bondservant is different. A bondservant or an indentured servant, sometimes you hear the words, you still still are being told by that person what to do, and, and you oftentimes don't have a say in what they said, but you put yourself in that position. You put yourself there to either pay off a debt or to gain, say, food and housing and care. You'll put yourself in that place of being an indentured servant In order to pay off that debt, typically there's an end to it where you are set free, but you place yourself there voluntarily. And when they're talking about slaves, this is exactly what they mean. And in the Bible, that term slave is used for the highest respect because you have put yourself in a place willingly of service. And our service is not to the guy sitting behind the desk. Our service is to the Lord. And we put ourselves in that place, and we have to have that mindset. So that was Colossians um, 3, 22, 24. Anybody know what comes before Colossians three 22? Don't say three twenty one. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Actually, take a couple steps back. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 16 says, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it tells you that, and then then he says, do everything as unto the Lord. But then it goes on, Colossians 3, 18 to 21, we have that up here too. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So what's the point of all this? If you're a slave, do it as unto the Lord. If you're in the workplace, do it as unto the Lord. If you're a husband, treat your wife as unto the Lord. If you're a wife, treat your husband. Fathers, treat your kids. What it's all saying, the point of it, is everything that we do, every interaction we have should be done as unto the Lord. It should be honoring to him, and it should be pleasing to him. When you rebel at work because you don't like the way that your boss is doing things, guys, that is not pleasing to the Lord. It is not. Another teaching for another day, but we know that all authority is placed by God, and you are put in that place because God wants you there. And if you don't believe that, I'm going to prove it to you here in just a minute. Without a good understanding of that idea, that mindset that we should have, we can often feel that our work in the secular field is just a waste of time. I talk to people all the time, I'm doing this now, but I really want to be doing this. I really want to do something in ministry. I really want to do something where I'm giving back to the homeless. I really want to do this or that. And they feel like where they are now is either a placeholder at best or a punishment at worst. I got it wrong. Why am I here? I'm called to something so much higher. Why am I stuck in this place? Let me tell you a story going all the way back. This is in the 1750s. A guy named William Wilberforce. Anybody heard of him? Any history majors remember William Wilberforce? William Wilberforce was a powerhouse in the political arena in England. Okay, in that day and time, slavery was, was not only legal, but it was encouraged. And he was very, very anti-slavery. And by the time he was 29, he had already passed 69 some odd bills about uh, or abolishing slavery. I said 29, it was actually 26. Had already published that many bills and pushed them through to help eliminate or abolish or soften slavery in one way or another. Then something interesting happened. At 26, he found the Lord. Now, he wasn't a Christian before that. At 26, he found the Lord, and his first response is, I need to get out of the political world and go into ministry. You would think that, maybe, if you had a radical conversion and you were, you were a smart man, a powerful man, and you had already done so much by the time you were even 26. He thought ministry was a much higher calling, and in fact, he was going to walk away. Fortunately, he met a man. He met a man just about his same age. His name was John Newton. John Newton was a former slave trader, okay? He actually owned a whole shipping fleet, and they would ship slaves all over the world. Made his living that way, but he came to Christ, and he walked away from that. John Newton, don't know for sure how they met. But he encouraged William Wilberforce. He said, stay where you are. You can do so much. You have so much influence where you are. You have risen to this position of authority and respect and influence, and you can use that in the kingdom. You can use it for God. And it took some doing, but he listened to him. William Wilberforce listened to him and actually ended up being instrumental in completely abolishing slavery, uh, at least setting those wheels in motion in England. Very, very powerful. John Newton, by the way. John Newton is the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. A little tie-in there. Point being, William Wilberforce, when he found Christ, was so passionate about serving in the kingdom, but he did not understand that we can serve the kingdom sometimes best in that place where we find ourselves. It doesn't always mean leaving where you are and going somewhere else to serve. It's a mindset. And when we miss that, we become dissatisfied. When we don't understand that where God has you right now is where he needs you right now, whether it seems that way or not, where he's got you is where he needs you. And with our right mindset, we'll do what he asks us to do. I'm going to go into that. What we really have to understand then is the difference Between our calling, so hear this carefully. Our calling as a Christian, our purpose as a Christian, and our assignment as a Christian. We all have one of those three things, all three at the same time, most often, okay? Our purpose. If you're a Christian, what's your purpose? To spread the gospel. To spread the gospel, that is really our number one, right? We exist, all of us in the Ecclesia, the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are a part of the worldwide body of Christ called the Ecclesia. And we all have the very same purpose, and that is to glorify God and make Christ known. That is our purpose. A couple scriptures, First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When it says, but you are a... Who's the you? All of you. Not me, not those who are in ministry. All of you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A people for God's own possession so that we can proclaim the excellence of him. That is our purpose. Ephesians 2.10, we have this one on screen. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This is our purpose, and all of our purpose is the same to make God known and to glorify him wherever we find ourselves. And it's all the same for everyone in the body. Now, let's go on to our calling. Our calling is a little bit different. Your calling may not be the same calling as the person next to you. It probably isn't. Our calling is using the specific spiritual gifts that God has given you in service of your purpose. Okay, so whatever your individual calling is, maybe your gifts, you're gifted in music, you're gifted in teaching, you're gifted in evangelism, you're gifted in hospitality, you're gifted in administration. Do you know that's listed as a spiritual gift in the Bible? Wherever you are gifted in, God will use those things as your calling to accomplish your purpose. And that's our job then is to do that. 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. These things, if you read that in context, he's, he's essentially listed a, a list of the fruits of the Spirit in different words. How we are to display the fruit in us. How we are to live that. And he says, as long as you're aware of that and you know your calling and you do that, you will not stumble. So, now let's move on to what our assignment is. Our assignment is temporary. Our assignment, no matter how long your assignment lasts, whether your assignment is a one hour meeting at the grocery store or whether your assignment is 30 years at a certain workplace, that's your assignment. And your assignment is temporary. God will leave you there as long as he needs you to be there. And then when the time is right, he will move you somewhere else. Let's look at what an assignment looks like. Let's look at Joseph's life. Okay, many of us know Joseph, right, getting thrown in the well, all this. Let's look at some of the highlights of Joseph's life. First of all, started out as a shepherd, right? Started out as a shepherd, tending sheep in the hills, He had, you know, he had some brothers and he had had parents and probably a fairly peaceful, serene life, right? You would think that at some point he thought, "This is who I am. I am a shepherd. This is what I do. This is what I'm always going to do because this is what my family has done. This is who I am." Then, though, he gets a dream. And he makes the maybe or maybe not displaying wisdom, goes ahead and shares that dream with his brothers, which results in what? He gets pummeled and then gets thrown in a well because his brothers don't really love that dream. So now he finds himself in this well, specifically after God has just spoken to him that he had all these great things in store for him. And he goes, did I get that wrong? I thought I just heard that I had great things in store and I find myself in the bottom of a well beaten up and bloodied. Did I get it wrong? Then the next stage of the story, he's taken out of the well. Yay, I'm free of the well. I'm free of this pit and hallelujah, I can move on to the next thing. What's the next thing? He gets sold into slavery. Oh, boy, maybe I should have stayed in the well. I certainly should have just kept my mouth shut and stayed at the field tending my sheep. Things would have been way better for me now. But then the next stage in his life, he is put in charge of Potiphar's house. Long story, right? I'm I'm condensing it. He's put in charge of Potiphar's house. He's got all kinds of authority. He's got a pretty cushy life as far as things go. He's still a slave, but he's put in charge of this house. He had to be thinking, I've made it. I'm going to lay low and not make any waves because I didn't like the previous steps along the way. Here I am. This had to be what God was talking about when he said, I was called for greater things. I've made it. Then what happens? He gets thrown back in jail. He's thrown back in jail. Somewhere along the way, Pharaoh hears that there's this guy who can interpret dreams, so he drags him out of that before Pharaoh, which is an awfully terrible place to be. If you're a little slave boy, to find yourself standing in the presence of Pharaoh with one snap of the fingers or a blink of an eye and he could have you killed, that is a terrifying place to be. And he had to be thinking, I wish I was back in the well. (laughs) That's several places along the way. Then we find out that he is elevated and he ends up running running, uh, all of Egypt essentially, right? Second only to Pharaoh in authority, and he had to be thinking, I've made it. Now this is the fulfillment of all these things. And obviously there's much more to his story. But what if he would have dug his heels in at any one of these stages and said, I'm refusing to move because this is what I am. I'm a shepherd. I am not going to open my mouth about delusions of grandeur and and get myself in trouble. I'm going to keep it to myself and just stay here because I'm a shepherd. I'm not anything else. At any stage along the way, do you think, imagine you're Joseph, do you think he may have been a little disgruntled at the ups and downs that his career path had taken? Now, we know in hindsight, we can read the scriptures, and we know that it it turns out amazing for him. God uses him in incredible ways. But at every step along the way, I think there's plenty of opportunity for him to be discouraged at where he found himself. And we can look back and go, every one of those steps was necessary to get him where God needed him ultimately if we view our workplace, our current assignment, whether it's our workplace, school, the rec center, the grocery store, wherever we find ourselves with a sphere of influence, people whose lives we can affect in one way or another, if we understand that, that that situation is our God-given assignment, and in that assignment, no matter how long it lasts or how short it is, our job is to use our calling in service of our purpose in the kingdom we need to keep that in mind at every step along the way paul the apostle paul understood this he wrote to the philippians one of my favorite passages of scripture philippians 4:11 to 13 we have it on screen paul says not that I, he's writing this from prison by the way not that i speak from want For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that last, Philippians 4.13, that is one of my favorite scriptures ever. In fact, it's the name of our fitness ministry here but it's often taken out of context that through Christ, I can do anything I want. What it means is understanding that whether you have a lot or a little, that's where God wants you. Be content, be humble, and through that strength, you can do anything. It's only when we get wrapped up in this should look better. I deserve better. It should look better than this. I need to be in a better, different, higher-paying job, better coworkers that's when we run into trouble. So if you look at all that, why would we even work at all? Why would we even put ourselves in this situation? Would not it be better just to stay at home? Sometimes we work. There's a million reasons why everybody works. The most obvious one is a paycheck, right? We need to support our family. We need to provide for ourselves, for our loved ones. I got to pay rent. I got to pay house payment. I've got bills. Everybody has bills. I have to provide. But do we really have to provide? Who's our provider? God is our provider. You have work to do, absolutely, but God is the one who will provide. So worrying about where you are is not the key. The key is saying, wherever I am, God is using me and God will provide. Is it for the prestige of your job? Are we, you know, climbing the ladder at work? I want to I want to get to the most high position I can. I want to and I chased that for years. I'm at this level, I really need to be at this level. I had no idea why I even wanted or needed to be at that level, but I went from from just a worker bee to now I'm a now I'm the one who tells the worker bees what to do, and then I'm the one who tells the one who tells, and then eventually I was director over 80 employees and I got to that place I was no happier then than I was when I was just a worker bee because I didn't understand that my sphere of influence at that point was massive. I had major influence over these people. You know, the problem was, though, I didn't know the Lord at that time, and I didn't understand my place in it. All I wanted to do was just climb for that next rung. Well, we know in Scripture that God exalts the humble, God exalts those who don't try and, and elevate themselves. The first shall be last. All these things where in the kingdom of God, we are not to spend any time at all focusing on how do I make myself look good. He's the one that will do that. He's the one that will do that. So ultimately, we work because it's our worship to the Lord. Our work should be seen as worship the Lord. Does that concept sound a little weird to you? Work and worship being one and the same? But I work at the bakery. I get up at four in the morning to make the donuts or earlier. I work at the DMV. Is my job really worship to the Lord? I work in a cubicle somewhere moving this pile of paper to this box. Is that really worship to the Lord? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And let me explain how that works. God's plan from the very beginning, has been that we would work, right? Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam tended the garden. In fact, Scripture tells us Genesis 2.15 reads like this. I think we have it. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. When you say keep it, to keep a garden or to tend a garden, what what picture comes to mind? You're on your hands and knees, and you're pulling out weeds, and you're fertilizing, and you're doing, you're doing whatever it takes to take care. Of, but it's work, generally, right? It may be enjoyable work, but it's work. That word work right there, that word tend, that is, or to keep, or to tend, is a Hebrew word abad, A-B-A-D, abad. And that has a really deeper meaning than we could possibly translate. Keep and work and things, it doesn't give us the fullness. The Israelites, though, in the Hebrew language, they knew that work and worship were one and the same. That word, "abad" is an integrated word that means work and as worship, worship as work. They are tied together, and it's a common thread that runs through every single thing that we do. Our English language breaks it into different words, to work, to tend, to keep. And then over here, we have to worship. Okay, we consider it two entirely different things. That concept of the word abad is exactly the same. Let me give an example. Exodus 8.1. This is out of the New American Standard. That's the version I use. It says, then the Lord sent to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may, what, serve me. Right? Serve me. Now, let me read you the most common version that probably most of you have, if you have a Bible on you, is going to be the NIV. Okay? By far the most common version. This is how the NIV says that very same verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go. Go so that they may worship me. It's not a mistranslation. It's the same word, abad. It means work. It means worship. It means the same thing. We need to understand that our work is our worship to the Lord. We go all the way back to this is 1400 BC now. This is when when Moses is handing off the reins basically to Joshua elevating him to the, to the leadership of the people. Joshua twenty four fifteen says, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, that's Abad, serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. How many of you have that on a plaque or a book or somewhere on your wall? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That word serve is Abad, and that means so much more that I'll go out and I'll work for him. It means I will worship him, and my work is my worship. No matter where you are, it's one of the same. So having this correct mindset is important. By the way, that word Abad also translates as abodah, or even avodah with a V, depending on where you are. It's just a different tense of the same word. Abad or abodah. Abodah is probably the more common that you'll actually see. But it's a picture of integrated faith. Integrated faith where your workplace and your worship, your job and your worship, where your faith and your work are entirely integrated. They are not separable. They are one and the same thing. So if we try and keep that in mind, keep in mind your calling, your purpose, and your assignment. Okay, try and keep those things in mind when you're at your workplace. So wherever you are, again, your sphere of influence, wherever that is, ask yourself these questions. How can I glorify God where where he has me now? How can I glorify God in this place? How can I use my gifts, my God-given spiritual gifts, in service of the kingdom at this place? And again, it can be wherever you are. How can I make disciples in this place? And then, how can I display the fruits of the Spirit to those around me? If we ask ourselves those questions, then we understand that everywhere we are, this is our mission field. This is where God has us, that temporary assignment. Yes, but this is where he has you. So how do you interact with coworkers in a godly way? Again, I'm not going to tell you how to handle the guy who stole your stapler. I'm not going to tell you how to handle your evil boss. I'm going to tell you to see those people the way God sees them. And every interaction with somebody you come across is an opportunity to share the love of Christ, to reflect who he is to that person. That is how we worship him. And that is our response to every situation that we find ourselves in, in our workplace. Again, workplace, just sphere of influence, where you find yourself. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's that missional mindset that you don't see people as obstacles to overcome. You don't see people as irritants or maybe even a a target. You see them the way God sees them. How many people here have been on a mission trip of some kind anywhere? Okay, many of us have. Those of you who haven't, one of the most striking things that you'll find when you go on a mission is the moment that you, you gather together in your group and you say, okay, we're going to go in our mission, whether it's we're going to go um, under the bridge right here or whether we're going to go to Africa, the most striking thing that happens is that the moment you gather together and you say, okay, ready, we're doing this, all right, let's go. At that moment, your mind becomes open to seeing everybody you come across as an opportunity to share the love of Christ. And then we come back to the world, and we're like, okay, I'm back in the world. I'm back in my workplace. Game over. Now I just need to fit in. When we have that mindset, God does amazing things with that. It's not about a paycheck. It's about sharing the love of Christ, sharing who he is, reflecting him no matter where we are. And that mindset will govern our every interaction. With every coworker, everybody at the rec center, everybody at the grocery store. How many of you take out your garbage when you hear the garage? Well, you hear the garbage truck coming down the street, that's when you go, "Oh yeah, it's garbage day." Me, I'll do that. Okay, and then I run out, usually in my in my shorts and flip flops, and I'll run out and do that. And then I turn around and I run back in the house and shut the garage door before they come. That's my goal, because I don't want to have to interact with them. I'm telling you now, I'm going to try and change that. I can make a difference in that person's life. Even, I'm not going to evangelize to them as they're dumping my garbage, but I can go out and say, thank you, guys. I appreciate you and what you do. At some point, they may ask me, hey, how come you're always out here saying thank you? How come you leave a thank you note? On, you know, how come? Because the Lord loves you, and now a door has been opened may not be that day, but it might be at some point. You have this mindset of living your life that way, which means recognizing these areas that God has put you, these areas where you have an opportunity to make a difference, and then making a difference. It's one thing to recognize. It's another thing to take the step and actually do it. Let me share with you some just, this is a total just secular list, essentially, of, of how to make a difference cultivate that godly relationship in your workplace. This is a list of 10 things. I'm just going to read it really quick. Instead of eating a lunch alone or in your car, okay? Intentionally eat with other coworkers. Get to know them, let them get to know you. Very very simple. You don't have to evangelize. Let them know you're a Christian at some point. Let them ask if they want to ask. Get to work early. Spend some time praying for your coworkers in the day ahead. Do you have a boss that looks like the one in the slide? Go put your hand on his desk in the morning and pray for him before he even gets there. You can do that. It makes such a big difference. Make it a daily priority to speak or write encouragement whenever you have a possibility. Whenever you can do that, speak encouragement over people. Be different. Offer to cover for a coworker who needs time off for something. Ask someone who others typically ignore. Look for the one that gets ignored and reach out to them. Ask them if you can get them a soda or a coffee or something like that. Visit coworkers when they're in the hospital. Get, go out of your way to talk to the janitors, the cleaning people, those kind of behind-the-scenes people who don't get any interaction. Go out of your way to talk to them. Lead the charge in helping others organize for a coworker in need. Let's say you've got somebody that has to move or somebody's got something going on. You be the one that leads that charge, so let's help them. Let's gather together and go help that person. Last one, just very simply, I added, make everyone you come in contact with happy that they met you. If we just have that as a mindset. Now, what's the common thread of all, all of these things? It's sacrificial. It's that concept of agape love. It's going to require you to give more than you're expecting to get in return. That's going to make a difference. Notice one glaring omission, one thing that's absolutely not here. Invite them to church. Now, I'm the pastor here, and I would love nothing more than each one of you to say, I'm going to invite 10 friends to church. Please go do that. But that's not a part of this. Build relationship first. The invite comes after relationship. And most often, if we build our relationship properly, they're going to come to you. And they're going to say, where do you go to church? What do you do? Why are you, so, why are you so happy? And why do you give of yourself all the time? Because that's what my Lord and Savior commands me to do. And I do it out of love for you and for everyone else here. Really, where do you go to church? Let that be. We are ambassadors of Christ. Paul teaches that. We are ambassadors of Christ. Our first job is to make him known above all else. Everything else comes with relationship. But let's build that. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Last scripture I want to share with you, John 13, 35, says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That love is that agape sacrificial love, not those people who are easy to love or convenient to love, or worse yet, those who we will benefit by showing that love to. It's sacrificial. It's placing them above everything else. And church, that, that's our calling. So no matter where God has you, your calling, use those gifts that he has given you in service of the Lord, to make him known. Amen? So, hey, let's go into, let's go into communion. If you're new here, we do communion a couple ways. At the crosses, we have juice and bread and gluten-free crackers, and you just dip into the juice, and you can serve yourself that way. Up front here, we have wine and bread, and, and my wife and I will be serving you up here if you would like to be served. Same way, you just dip it into the wine. But before we do that, let's pray that God would just open our eyes to those people, those areas of influence that we have where we can be a better reflection than maybe we have been, where maybe our heart can change a little bit and view people, view our situation a little bit differently, whether we like it or not, a God-given assignment to fulfill our purpose in the kingdom. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to where you want us and maybe seeing things a little bit differently. I pray that we would see every opportunity, everywhere that you have us, whether we're in the bottom of a well or whether we're ruling the household, whether we're in an up or we're in a down, let us see those things as an assignment from you. And our mission in that place never changes. That is to glorify you. And so, Lord, help us see those places. Help us see those opportunities where we can glorify you. And then let us not be bold. Let us not step back from doing that, thinking someone else will. Let us be your hands and feet. Let us be your reflection in the kingdom. Because, Father, that's what we want, is to do your will. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's move about into communion now. We have prayer team in the back that would be happy to pray with you if you have any issue that you need prayer for. Maybe it's a coworker you just want prayer for to help start this process or healing, whatever you need. Feel free to join them in the back, but let's move about and take communion now. Thank you, church.